Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 30 through 40, it's almost one after the other. We don't get this little chunk for Moses or the patriarchs or Abraham. It's a bunch of different people. So a couple common themes here. The, the first common theme is better is a little and imperfect faith than unbelief. Better is a little faith and broken or imperfect faith than unbelief whatsoever. Maybe, I know I struggle with things like that where it's all or nothing. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it with everything I got or I'm not going to touch the thing whatsoever. And sometimes within our walk with the Lord, we think that's the way it has to be. Either I'm on fire, everything all in, I'm not watching any TV, I've become, right, I got my horse carriage and buggy and there's nothing else that I'm doing except reading the Bible or I'm failing. And I'm not a good believer. So for us to know better is little, better is imperfect faith than just unbelief. The next theme, we'll look at James later on, is that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. All these men and women, they're here in Hebrews chapter 11 because they had actions to their faith. They believed in God and then they did something with it. Again, family, what have you done with your faith in God? Has your relationship with Jesus, has it costed you anything? Have you lost a friendship or relationship? Have you lost a job? Have you lost certain opportunities or even freedoms because of the faith and relationship that we have with the Lord? Next thing we'll see is that we need to trust in the Lord and have faith whether it leads to victory or whether it leads to great death. And as believers, we kind of don't like that second part, right? automatically faith and belief in Jesus. It's Philippians 4.13, right? I'm going to win the race because I have Philippians 4.13. I'm going to win the MMA fight because I have Philippians 4.13, right? Everything, I'm going to get this job I desperately want because I prayed. And then it has to happen, right, God? And sometimes in our relationship with God, we think because I'm a believer, because I'm doing good, therefore, God, you owe me perfect life. You owe me perfect kids. You owe me the perfect car, the perfect job, the perfect spouse. Lord, you owe me. And we forget, like we just sung, we owe everything to him. Whether we get good in this life or bad, we owe everything to him. So we need to trust in the Lord and have faith, whether it leads to great victory or whether it leads to great and utter death. Next thing is sometimes living worthy to the Lord means you will be hated by mankind. Sometimes living worthy to the Lord means you will be hated by mankind. And I believe this is more relevant than ever for us today. That more and more family, every day that goes on to be a true follower of Jesus, to be a true disciple of Jesus, men and women in this world, they are going to have a greater and greater problem with you. Right? That's just the culture we're living in right now. If you're not with us, you're against us. You can go with them 99%, but if you say, hey, this 1% is off. We're going too far here. Right away, they throw you off the cliff. And are we ready for that? Are we prepared for that? Finally, all of these men and women that we just read here in Hebrews chapter 11, 40 verses, all these men and women, they did it without the promise of Jesus. They did it without being filled with the Holy Spirit. So how much more should we be capable of with the indwelling of Jesus in our hearts? With the Holy Spirit working on us and with the Holy Spirit being filled within us. How much more? How much more should we be doing? How many more great steps of faith should we be taking if we've been given more ammunition, if you would? So, hey, let's read it. It's 10 verses. We'll read verse 30 through 40. And then we'll come back and take it verse by verse. It tells us, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. After they were encircled for seven days, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. 
Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Again, it's an amazing portion of scripture. It could stand by itself, but we'll do our best to get through it. The very first group of people we see here is verse 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Again, this is talking about Joshua and the city of Jericho. How they came, they just got out of the wilderness They had just passed through the Jordan River. It was during the flood season, but the Lord parts it. They have to start walking in it. The Lord parts the river. They're able to cross the Jordan, and then it shuts up behind them almost like you're in it, right? You're stuck. The door behind you is closed and is locked, and now you can only go forward. And the first place they have to go forward into is the city of Jericho with these great fortified walls. And let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. Because, again, we read these great men of faith, these great stories of faith, and we can forget, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, that they were very, very imperfect. That they were just like us. Joshua chapter 1, we see here this new leader, Joshua, how the Lord had to encourage him over and over and over again. In Joshua chapter 1, We'll see it in verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 9. He tells them, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 9. Maybe it's a broken record to us. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And again, Joshua, he's told three times within four verses to be strong, to be courageous, to not be fearful. So again, these men and women in Hebrews 11, they were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they were willing to obey. They were willing to obey. And again, that's the question for us. Are we willing to obey? Are we willing to obey in the small things, in the waking up each morning and reading our Bible? Are we willing to obey and going to one of the retreats this summer? Are we willing to obey to start serving in a small area? Again, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Chuck Smith, he lays out the faith of the children of Israel and of Joshua in four different ways. He says, first off, their faith, it was daring. It was daring because there was no turning back. There was no way to retreat because they had already passed through the Jordan River. So their faith, it was daring. Next, their faith was obedient. They were obedient because they did not understand how the plan made any sense, yet they marched around the city. Again, the plan for them was to pull out their, right? I don't know if you have an Apple app or you have a Fitbit. Their plan was, hey, get your steps up, right? That was the plan for the people of Israel. Hey, get your steps up. You need to walk around the city one time each day. And the last day, walk around it seven times, right? The third way, their faith, it was patient. Because the walls, they did not fall down for the first several days. But yet they kept on obeying the Lord. Finally, their faith had anticipation. They were anticipating because they knew God would act on the seventh day. 
Their hope was fixed on God keeping his word on the seventh day. And now family, again, as we look at this example, which is what the author of Hebrews is doing for these Hebrew people, let's look at it for our lives. Our lives, do we have, A, do we have faith at all? Do we have any faith and trust in the Lord whatsoever, in, his, in the rapture, in his coming, in his justice, in his word? Do we believe that his word is enough for our lives? Do we believe that he wants us to overcome sin and not have to struggle with sin for the rest of our lives, like we're in slavery, but that he's come and he's freed us from sin? Do we believe these types of things? But is our faith daring? When was the last time we took a chance for the Lord? Right? Have we become so calculated that, Lord, unless... Faith fits in my Excel spreadsheet. It is not going to happen, Lord. I can't do it. I can't do it. It doesn't make sense. Is our faith obedient? Are we being obedient to the Lord simply because that's what his word says? Again, that's what a true biblical believer, a true biblical follower of Jesus is. It's someone who's obedient to God's word even when they say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. God, this is hard. What do you mean I need to stay sexually pure to the day I get married? What are you talking about? Lord, what do you mean I need to love my spouse more than I love myself? What are you talking about? Lord, what do you mean I need to love my enemies? Pray for those who spitefully use me. Lord, what are you talking about, right? Lord, what do you mean I have to pray for my government? What are you talking about, right? We may struggle with different things, but are we being obedient to the Lord even when we don't understand it? The third one was what? It was patient. Are we patient with God? Or is it okay, Lord, I'm going to give you this one chance, God. God, I'm going to give you this one chance. I'm going to be obedient here. But if what I want doesn't happen right away, that's it. I quit. I'm done. I'm over it, right? Sometimes we do that in New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to eat healthy for a week. And if the six-pack doesn't come out, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Forget that I've been eating unhealthy for the past 30 years. God, if this one week doesn't, something doesn't happen, Lord, I give up. Finally, anticipation. Is there a hunger and desire I ate? Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do here. Lord, it doesn't make sense. Lord, I'm concerned. I'm afraid. But Lord, I can't wait to see what in the world you're going to do here. Are we at the place where we see our lives as God's problem? Because that's a great way to live as a believer. That, Lord, I'm doing my part. I'm preparing. I'm counting. I'm going through the book of Proverbs. I'm doing my best to be a wise man and woman. But when things come my way that don't make sense, God, it's your problem. God, it's your problem. I'm being obedient to your word to the best that I can. God, it is your problem. Again, family, does it look like we are a same, part of the same family as Moses? Does someone look at your life and they go, oh, for sure, you're related to Moses. For sure, you're related to Abraham. I can talk, the family resemblance, no one can deny, right? Or do people look at you, right? Hopefully not like Jesus and the Pharisees, right? You sons of the devil, right? That's what Jesus said. You guys look more part of the family of the other guy than of our patriarchs. What family do you look like? What family are you a part of? Where's the family resemblance? Is there a hunger and thirst for God's word? Are we like Moses that we want to go outside the city to spend time with him? Or are we like the Pharisees that we just come to church so that we look good, so that there's pomp, right? People look at us and, wow, that guy's so amazing. Or are we just, Lord, I want to be with you wherever you are, right? And we need to remember their faith was not perfect. Our faith is not going to be perfect, but we can cry out to the Lord. And the Lord will encourage us, again, be strong and be of good courage. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But there needs to be action, family. Again, that word daring, it means fearless. It's talking about having grit. So are we daring? Are we fearless? Do we have grit? Are we tough in our relationship with God? Or are we a coward? Are we timid? And are we fearful? Again, which one, right? We take our lives and we pull out the scales. Which one is more me? Obedient. Being obedient, it means to be devoted. It means to be loyal. Are we obedient, devoted, and loyal, or are we rebellious, neglectful, and disloyal? Right? Who are we? Anticipating. That means that we are preparing for something. That means that we are awaiting something versus being doubtful, 
being unready and being surprised. Who are we? And that's not like surprise, it's your birthday, right? That's not what it's talking about there. That's like you're in the restroom and someone opens the door and says surprise. That's what it's talking about there, right? Are we ready? Are we ready for the Lord's coming? Are we ready that we're at the store and we're buying something we shouldn't buy and who comes behind you and puts the little stick down? Oh, it's George Lee. Oh, my goodness, George Lee's here. Right? George, they returned that. It wasn't me, right? That was, that's not mine, right? Where are we at, family? Are we daring? Are we fearless? Do we have toughness in our relationship with the Lord? Are we obedient? Are we devoted? Are we loyal? Are we patient? Are we calm? Are we enduring? That's the fourth one, right? Patient, calm, enduring versus being agitated, being frustrated, and being impatient. Is that where we're at with the Lord? Are we being impatient with God? Are we frustrated with God? Are we saying, Lord, I'm patient. I'm calm, Lord. I can do this all day. I can wait on you. You'll bring me the right thing at the right time. Again, looking at those men and women with Joshua. Next, we look at Rahab. We can go to Joshua. And in chapter 2, it tells us Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So in Joshua chapter 2... Verse 9 through 13, this is Rahab speaking to these two spies. She tells them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Again, when it tells us there that she did not perish with those who did not believe, in the Greek it means those who were disobedient. She did not perish because she did not join up. She was not like-minded with the other people who were disobedient in Jericho. That means the Lord, if it was the Lord's will, more people in Jericho would have turned to the Lord. They saw who God was. They were all freaking out. They believed in all the miracles, but yet instead of turning to the Lord and being obedient and humbling themselves before the Lord, that they got hard, that they wanted to fight God. They wanted to fight the people of God. David Guzik, he says, she declared that he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This was proof of her faith. It was not strong and it was not perfect, but her faith was commendable nonetheless. Again, what was Rahab's job? She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. I wonder the conversation the spies had when they got home with their wives, right? Where were you? We were in a harlot's house, right? Like, what are you talking about? The conversation, right? That's another story. Nobody says they want to ask that in heaven, but that's another story, right? But this prostitute was able to see who God was simply by faith. She took what she had heard from the other people, but yet she believed it. And she didn't believe it just inside of a vacuum, right? How many people say, I believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, 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 I believe in the Bible. But there's no action behind it. There's no life changing. There's no rearranging. There's no movement in their lives. We need to believe it not just inside of a vacuum, or just in our mind, or just on a chalkboard, or just in a history. But we need to believe it and act on those beliefs. Again, let's turn to the book of James chapter 2, verse 21 through 26. It tells us, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works 
and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Again, family, Rahab, she didn't just believe God is the real God in a vacuum. She put her life on the line. She hid these two fugitives of the kingdom. And in doing so, she saved her life and the life of her entire family because her faith had action behind it. Family, what's the action behind your faith? What is the action? What have you done with this faith, with this belief, with this trust in God? What have you done for the Lord? Because again, James tells us just like a body without having a spirit is dead, faith without works is dead, right? In today's day and age, it's talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Show me how much you love me. Show me how much you care about me, right? For little kids, that's, that's the case, right? On their birthdays, their birthdays come around, you say, hey, I love you, hey, I care for you, and they have their hands out, right? Like, show me, show me that you love me, show me that you care about me, right? I think that's what the Lord does to us sometimes. Hey, show me that you love me. Show me that you're not ashamed of me. Show me that you love me more than those friends of yours that are taking you down a dark path. Show me that you love me more than those fears that you're holding on to and you're not willing to let go. Show me. Would you show me that you love me? Again, and the Lord, he rewarded this prostitute's Broken faith, right? This prostitute, she's a liar. She's lying to the government, and yet the Lord cares for her. She's in Hebrews 11. She's in the book of James. In Joshua chapter 2, you can just write it down. The way that the men knew that they needed to protect her and that house was that she put outside of her window a scarlet cord. A scarlet cord. She had to hold that out the window, and they knew right away that scarlet cord meant that that home did not receive any judgment from the judgment of God. And this is one of the earliest pictures showing us that the blood of Jesus can and will save families. First and foremost, we have the Passover. They get the blood. They put it on the doorpost. Then right afterwards, we get Rahab and they say, hey, this crimson cord, put it outside your house and then we will know to not judge your house. And anyone who is in the house with that crimson cord will be saved. Family, do you believe in Jesus tonight? Is he the one that is keeping you from the judgment? Is he the one that's keeping you from hell? Because he's the only way to life. He is the only way. We need to cling to and show that scarlet cord to all the world. And not only does this lying prostitute have this token of grace and mercy and such a special picture of God, but in Matthew chapter 1, if you're quick, we can turn there. In Matthew chapter 1, we find a very interesting name in the New Testament. And if you were here on Sunday, you should remember how important the lineage of Christ is. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And then again, finally, verse 16, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Again, the Lord rewarded Rahab's faith to such a point that she's within the lineage of Jesus Christ. Her faith had works. Her faith had action. Family, we need to have both. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and now we get one person right after the other. One historical Bible character after the other. Hebrews 11, we'll read verse 32, and it says, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. What he's saying here is, guys, Hebrews chapter 11, if I give you every single person who had faith and didn't turn back to their old way of living, forget Psalm 119. Hebrews 11 will be the longest chapter ever, right? He's saying, I would have to go through the entire Bible if I would remind you of all the men and women of faith 
who did not give up. All the men and women of faith who they didn't go back to sin. They didn't go back to their old way of living, but they pressed on. What more can I say? And then look at this ragtag bunch that he mentions here. Gideon, who was so fearful, he was hiding in the deepest parts of a cave. Trying to thresh the wheat, which should be done on the mountaintops so that the wind blows by. He's doing it in a cave. He's afraid for his life. God says, okay, Gideon, this is what I want you to do. And he goes, okay, God, first, I'm going to put this little blanket out there. You make that blanket wet, and then I'll believe you, right? What does God do? He makes the blanket wet. Okay, God, now I'm going to put that blanket back out there, but you got to wet all the grass, but keep the blanket dry. Then the Lord does it again, and he asks God, God, are you sure? God, are you sure? God, are you sure? Gideon, in and of himself, was not a great man of faith, but he was obedient. He did not just succumb to his fears. He was, okay, Lord, I believe you. Okay, Lord, I'm freaking out, but I believe you. The Lord told him, hey, tear down your father's idols in the middle of the day. What did he do? He waited till the nighttime, right? Okay, Lord, I'm going to do this, but God, if I do in the middle of the day, everybody's going to see my face. Everybody's going to know who did it. He wasn't a perfect man, but God worked at him. Barak I really don't like this guy in the Bible, right? He's super fearful of doing things. Deborah's the one that has to sort of like give him a great big pep talk and get him ready to go do what God has commanded him to do. Jephthah, we were talking about it in the office. And my wife is right. I'm like, I don't like a lot of these guys. But we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity with them. So I have to change my mind, right? I have to look in the mirror and say, man, I'm just like these guys. Jephthah, he's about to go to war and he makes a promise to God. Whoever's the whatever, right? Is the first thing to come and talk to me and give me praise for coming back from war. Lord, I will sacrifice to you. His dog ain't going to come and talk to him at the front door, right? It's only going to be another human. I don't know if he had parrots back then or anything else like that. But his daughter, his virgin daughter is the first person that comes to him. And again, a messed up human being judges is a messed up book. But yet he's here, a man of faith. David, we love David, right? We think of that little kid, that teenager, that 12-year-old, 15-year-old running against a 9, 10-foot giant. No fear whatsoever in his heart. But it's the same David that couldn't keep his own sexual desires at bay. The same David that when the Lord busts him, he tries to hide. He's trying to hide it, man. Uriah, he's such a brave man. He's such a man of obedience to God. He's not willing to even spend one night with his wife because his men are out there at battle. David, what are you doing? And then his family's a wreck. He kills Uriah. And yet David is here in the hall of faith. Again, guys, if God can use David, he can use you. But are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to say, Lord, I'm going to put my emotions and my feelings and my fears to the side. And God, I'm going to obey whatever you say, no matter the cost, right? Then we get Samuel. Samuel, he's an amazing character from a young man all the way to the end of his age, man. He's an amazing character. He's the last of the judges and he's the first of the prophets. Then here at the end of verse 32, it mentions the, all the prophets. Verse 33, and we love this part, right? We love verse 33 and verse 34. At least I love it. It says, who through faith they subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Again, David, he says, I was out there just hanging out, protecting my dad's sheep. Yeah, I fought a bear. I fought a lion, right? No big deal. I killed them. No guns. No nothing. Just his bare hands. Samson, one of the stories, right? One of the historical things in the Bible is he was so strong that a lion came and attacked him. And he grabbed them in two and ripped them in half, right? So through faith, these men were able to stop the mouths of lions. We can think of Daniel and other men. Verse 34, they quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weaknesses were made strong. They became valiant in battle and they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. No, that's not any 90s movie or 2000 movie. That's not what it's talking about there, right? Other invading armies, they put them to flight. With, right, 300 men and a couple trumpets, a couple clay pots. And they put to flight all these men that wanted to attack them and kill them. And we love verse 33 and 34. But usually we leave out the part where it says, out of weakness, we're made strong. 
Do you realize if God's going to use you mightily in the kingdom of God, do you know what type of person you have to be? Weak. Broken. Humble. Those are the men and women that God uses for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I got very quiet when I said that, but it's the truth, guys. If you want to be great in God's economy, you have to be weak. You have to be humble. You have to be broken. And it's not through my flesh. It's God through your spirit. Would you do these things through me? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a great pep talk, you may want to hold on for a bit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27. We can start in verse 26. It tells us, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Again, family, God loves fixer-uppers. God loves using broken and messed up, fearful people hiding in the caves, and God comes to them and says, hey, you mighty men of valor, right? I wonder if Gideon like passed out when he talked to him and when he told him that. He's hiding, afraid for his life. You mighty men of valor. That's who he's talking to. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 through 10. Paul again he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, family, how do you think you're going to be great in God's economy? Do you think it's going to be through your incredible strength, your incredible gifts, your incredible talents? Through your incredible knowledge, you're the smartest person on earth and God needs you to do something. No, it's in our weaknesses that he's made strong. And again, the Lord uses a lot of broken people. Paul, if we're honest, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? You're like the smartest guy in the Bible, the most amazing man in the Bible. And yet you're the one saying that it's in our weaknesses that he's made strong. It'd be easy if Peter said that, right? We'd all be like, yeah, no duh, Peter. We know that in weaknesses you're made strong. You stuck your foot in the mouth all the time. You ran away from the Lord. You missed a guy. You only cut off his ear. Peter, we know in your weaknesses he's made strong. But here we have Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, perfect. And yet he says, I'm not here to glory in my flesh or my accomplishments. I'm not trying to do God a favor through my talents and gifts. But it's when I'm weak and I, I allow him to do something that he is made strong. I don't know if you've ever dealt with hard-headed people, right? I don't know if that's been you. But sometimes you deal with a hard-headed person and you're like, do you want my help? And they're like, no, 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 no. And they're struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling. Hey, do you want my help? No, 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 right? And they're struggling and they're fighting and they're getting so mad. Hey, do you want my help? And they just give up. And you're like, it's just these two buttons, right? And you push the two buttons and then you walk away and then they're mad at you even more. I don't know if you've been there. But I think that's really what we do to the Lord so often. It's like, Lord, no, I'm, I'm going to do this through my strength. 
Lord, I'm going to do this through my talents. Lord, I'm going to do this through my wit, through how amazing I am. Lord, I'm going to do this. You created me for this. And God's just sitting there like, all right, man, go for it. Go for it. Are you tired yet? No? Okay, all right, go for it. Go for it, man. Go for it. And then when we were finally broken and we finally give up, he steps in. He's like, okay, you ready? Okay, there it is, right? Again, Moses, how he started off. I'm going to kill this one Egyptian and I'm going to get everything rolling. He's like, oof, okay, Moses, you want to go that route? Okay, you could go that route. Forty years later, God, how are we going to take care of this army? The entire army. It's not one guy. The entire army of the most sophisticated country in the world is coming after me and a bunch of slaves. What are we going to do? Hey, just stick your hand up. Say, what? Just put your hand up. All right, you guys walk through and watch. I'm going to take care of this, right? And God shuts an entire ocean on the biggest and baddest army in the entire world. Family, it's through our weaknesses. It's through humility. It's through saying, Lord, I'm wrong. I messed up. Lord, I need you. It's in not going off on pride, but saying, Lord, I'm broken. I messed up. But, Lord, I'm willing to be obedient. Lord, I'm broken. I messed up. But, Lord, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to allow other people to speak into my life. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11. And in the middle of verse 35, it takes such a drastic turn, right? We love verse 33 and 34, right, overcoming kingdoms. I think every guy kind of dreams about being Samson, being able to grab a lion and rip it in two, right? All of us, we dream about that. We love all those things. Verse 35, women receive their dead race to life. Wow, faith is amazing. Faith in God, it's incredible. But yet, there's a different group here. It says others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Verse 38, it gives us a brief picture of how God sees them. God sees them as of those whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Leon Morris, he says, the despised and ill-treated group of servants of God was of greater real worth than all the rest of humanity put together. The world was not worthy of these men and women. Family, are we lumped up into that group? That we have such trust and faith in God that even if things don't go our way, we're still going to trust in Him? Even if it costs our own life, we are going to still trust in Him? We don't see that today. Everything throughout the gospel, right? Everything throughout churches, it's about naming it and claiming it. It's about positive confession. It's about don't say negative things because then negative things will happen. It's about all this good, good, good. But yet we have scriptures like this to remind us of the realities of our Christian faith. Family, I don't know what causes you've been championing over this insane season and time, right? We're living in the twilight zone, truly. But many believers, they're, they're, they're championing different causes, and that's great. The Lord wants justice. The Lord wants care. But when was the last time you cared for and prayed our brothers and sisters who are being slaughtered all over the world? When was the last time one of those posts went viral throughout the group of believers? That our own brothers and sisters, according to the word of God, our own family members who we've been adopted with, have been chopped down with machetes and all sorts of atrocities. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that in our world? Is that the kind of Christianity that we are raising and rearing in our children? Or the moment that things get bad, the moment the AC breaks, the moment that there's lightning and rain, the moment that there's scary things happening in our world, no, 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 we can't go to church. No, 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 we're giving up on church. No, no, dad and mom, we have to step down from serving. There's just too many things going on. Family, when does that stop in our walk and relationship with the Lord? Do we have grit, right, like we talked about? Do we have toughness within our relationship with God? Or if there's a storm and insanity, we're sailing through, right? We're excited saying, whoa, Lord, right? The anticipation, God, how are you going to do this? 
What are you going to do here? Lord, am I going to be lumped up with that group of people whom the world was not worthy of? Is that what's going to happen today? Is that where we're at? Family, are we ready for it? Because many of us were afraid to speak the truth because people are going to be mean to me, right? I don't want to speak the truth because then they're going to message me on the interwebs. I don't want to speak the truth. I don't want to tell them the truth because then they might not want to have dinner with me anymore. If our faith, if our, right, we talked about our allegiance, our loyalty, if our loyalty to God is that cheap, man, we got to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what's going on? Lord, reveal to me, show in me what's really going on in my heart. And my Lord, do I have the fear of man that's a snare, that it's slowly choking me to death? Or Lord, do I fear you above all? And that's the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Lord, which camp am I in? Am I so fearful of what men and women will think of me and my family that there's just that snare that every step I take forward, my life is getting choked a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Or, Lord, do I just fear you above everything, God? Because then I'll get wisdom and understanding with that. A couple of verses. We don't see these many times in our phones or cool backgrounds that get passed around. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Matthew 10, 22, it tells us, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city... Flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more? Will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Family, are we speaking the truth? Are we hated for our stance on God's word? We got to be ready. Are we ready to be hated by mankind? Are you friends with the world? Are the most worldly and sinful people your BFFs? Because you need to pray, Lord, am I really changing them through your change in me? Or, Lord, are they changing me? Again, Lord, am I fearful of what they think of me? Chuck Smith, he says, those men who are pleasing to God are often displeasing to the world. Those men who are pleasing to God are often displeasing to the world. And we always have to explain both sides of this. Again, people should be displeased with us. People should not like us because of our stance on the truth of the gospel. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. That sin is sin. That any sin, it right away damns us to hell for all of eternity. That no one is perfect. That every man is evil. Those are the things that people should hate us for. That marriage is between one man and one woman. That gossip is wrong. Pornography is wrong. Anything outside of that, those things are wrong. That's why men and women should hate us. They shouldn't hate us because we're lazy. They shouldn't hate us because we're filled with hatred. They shouldn't hate us because we're annoying or obnoxious. Right? We can confuse that sometimes as believers. Yes, Lord, they don't like me because I'm just like you, right? It's like, no, they hate you because you're the laziest person at work. That's why they hate you. They hate you because you're the one that stirs the pot, that causes all the drama at work. You are the gossip mill. That's why they all hate you. So for us to ask the Lord, God, hopefully I have some type of friction, right? Hopefully I have some type of friction. But Lord, what is causing this friction? Am I having friction within my family because of our stance on holiness and how we go to church no matter what and how we serve the Lord no matter what? Or does my family not like me because I'm really obnoxious and mean to them? Because then we're not being Christ-like. Luke chapter 6 verse 22. And again, just the biblical perspective that we should have. Luke chapter 6 verse 22 and 23. It tells us, blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day 
and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Again, family, which prophet throughout the whole Bible was liked and welcomed and loved by the world? If our own Savior, right, our own King, the one that we're looking to live like and be like, if he was hated, if he was tortured, if he was tried falsely, how much more should we be willing and ready to do the same? Not hiding, not being undercover, but saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to stand up for righteousness within my family. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. John chapter 15. And I love the context of this. John 15, right, the first eight verses are all about being connected with Christ, abiding with Christ, making sure that we're connected, we're joined together with the Lord. Then in verse 18, it tells us, verse 18 through 21, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Again, family, are we ready? Are we ready for that? Are we living in that reality or does the world love us? Does the world love us? Do we have worldly friends inviting us to all the clubs, to all the parties, to all the evil in this world? Because then the world loves you. And then you know biblically you're not right with God. Biblically you're living in that question mark that we've talked about throughout the book of Hebrews. If being in the family of God is where you're at ease and you have peace and you have joy and you have excitement... That's when you're like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm within the family of God. Keep working in me, Lord. Keep working your word through me. But for us to look at our lives, finally, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. If you just like it simple and plain and to the point, that's what this one is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. It tells us, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Again, we shouldn't be freaked out about it. We shouldn't say like, wow, that caught me off guard. No, we should be ready for it. We see the world and everything that's going on. More and more, we, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. How long ago did we kick prayer out of schools? How long ago did we kick the Bible out of schools? How long ago did we pass all types of abortion? How long? We shouldn't be surprised. But we should be looking holier and holier, brighter and brighter, more and more a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Finally, Hebrews chapter 11 Last two verses, verse 39 and 40. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Again, the author of Hebrews, he's speaking to people that are being disowned by their families because of their faith in Christ. The author of Hebrews is speaking to families who are losing their homes, their livelihoods because of their relationship with Christ. It's people that their businesses are being shut down solely because they're Christians. They're not allowed to go to the temple anymore because they're Christians. They are losing everything solely because they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way to heaven. And he's saying, look at this testimony. All these people, they revealed to us a great testimony. Again, family, I ask you guys, didn't these people provide an amazing testimony of what God is able to accomplish in willing people? Isn't Hebrews 11 amazing? And yet they didn't have the full promise that we have today. Did not these men and women do amazing things for the Lord? I think we believe so, right? Maybe I'm the only one, right? I think so. I think it's pretty amazing. Through faith, wasn't God able to accomplish amazing things in broken people? In a murderer? In an adulterer? In a prostitute? In fearful men, fearful women? I think of Abraham, threw his wife under the bus not once but twice. And yet look at what he was able to accomplish through the Lord. And yet they didn't receive the promise of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was still on the horizon. The finish line truly wasn't there for them yet. 
And we all love being able to pass the finish line, right? Once we know, okay, summer's here, school's done, this big project is done and over, it's exciting. But these people, they really didn't get there. They died, they went to heaven, and then they got there. But in this life, in this world, they didn't get it. They didn't have the full Bible like we have. They didn't have blue-letter Bible and every commentary in every language that they could think of. They didn't have the Bible in so many versions that some are just plain unbiblical and some are too hard to read, right? They didn't have the Bible in comic book form and electronic form and in every form possible. They didn't have the Bible in a pop-up book. They had nothing like that. And yet they were able to accomplish these things, broken, messed up people, but yet they were loyal, they were faithful, and they were obedient to God. So family, again, the question remains, how much more should we? How many more things should we be willing to accomplish? Again, not for our plaque, right? Not for us to have a plaque in Calvary Chapel, Miami. Look what so-and-so did and accomplished here, right? But how much more should we do for the kingdom of God? How much more should we be willing to take steps of faith to bless the Lord? They waited for the coming of Jesus. We're living in it. They waited for the nation of Israel to be back a nation again. We're living it. They waited for so many of the things that we are living in today, yet we take it for granted. We take it for granted. So again, family, I pray, I hope that we grow in faith in this season, that we're ready. Lord, if you want to accomplish great victories in me, God, I'm ready. But Lord, if this plane is going to crash and burn because of my faith and love and trust in you, Let's do it. Let's go out in a blaze of glory, right? There's two different types of people. There are people that they want nothing left in the tank when they cross the finish line. And there are people that are always concerned that they're going to run out of gas before they get to the finish line. Right? May we count the cost. May we be filled with the Lord. And may we say, Lord, I want nothing left in this planet. I want to burn out all I have for you. And again, a true godly believer, they're going to be a blessing to their spouse. They're going to be a blessing to their family. They're going to be a blessing to their community. But are we ready and willing to be hated for Christ's sake? 